You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Welcome to From Beneath the Hollywood Sign. If you love old movies, Hollywood history, or the golden age of filmmaking, you've come to the right place. This is the podcast that talks about amazing stories of Tinseltown from another era and fascinating conversations with writer-producer Steve Kubine and actress-writer Nan McNamara. So, Steve, did Ava Gardner and Howard Hughes have a good relationship? Well, they did until he dislocated her jaw. What? Well, don't worry. She hit him back with an ashtray. From Beneath the Hollywood Sign is the gin joint for you. Spend less time staying in the know about all things gaming and more time actually watching and playing what you want with the IGN Daily Update Podcast. All you need is a few minutes to hear the latest from IGN on the world of video games, movies, and television with news, previews, and reviews. So listen and subscribe to the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. That's the IGN Daily Update wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to our couch. Take a seat. It's time for therapy. Movie therapy. I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture critic and co-author of How to Be Fine. And I'm Rafer Guzman, film critic for Newsday. In each episode of Movie Therapy, we offer up questionable advice and outstanding TV and movie recommendations for whatever ails you. As usual, our disclaimer, we are not real therapists, we are not real psychologists, we are not real doctors, but Rafer, you and I are real TV and movie critics. That's right. We do have real English degrees. Okay. So... (laughs) (laughs) Shall we get to this week's letters? Yes, let's get to it. Rafer, I'll let you read the first one this week. Okay, this one comes from Elizabeth, and Elizabeth writes, Dear Rafer and Kristen, for many years, I've been renting a one-bedroom apartment in a downtown high-rise in a mid-sized Midwest city. It's just me and my pup. After working from home for more than a year and having no outdoor space, I'm ready for a change. I've decided to buy a house in the first suburb outside the city. It's less than 10 miles away and still in a very walkable area, and more importantly, it's near many of my friends. The house is bigger than my apartment, but not huge, and has a good-sized backyard. The problem. I'm anxious that, one, I picked the wrong house. It might have bad neighbors, or in another month or two, I'll see a better house that's less expensive. Two, I will hate home ownership. I don't know how to fix anything. Plus, will I always feel unsafe because of all the windows and doors on the ground level? And three, I will miss living in the city. Many of my friends are still here, and when I go back to the office, I'll have to drive to work instead of walk, plus I'll have to find a dog walker. Additionally, I have guilt about being in the position as a single millennial to buy a house, especially when the past year has been financially devastating for so many people. Do you have a movie or TV recommendation about finding peace with voluntarily making a major change? Ooh, boy. Wow, Elizabeth, that is a long list of concerns. And I can say both Rafer and I are homeowners ourselves, right. but I should say condo owners is more accurate. Yeah, co-op owner, but yes. Yes. Um, so we own apartments. But uh, first and foremost, Elizabeth, I'm going to say, please let go of that guilt about being able to afford this place. Agreed. You should be grateful. Let go of the guilt. Hold on to the gratitude. Be grateful that you have this chance. Having this chance doesn't make you a bad person. Having this chance doesn't mean that you've lost all empathy for others. 
be grateful for this. That's my first bit of advice. Good advice. And second of all, I am going to give you a bit of advice that my friend Gretchen Rubin has given to lots of people. Gretchen Rubin wrote a book called The Happiness Project. Yes, I know. And she said, just prepare to be let down no matter what. It doesn't matter if you're buying a house in the suburbs, an apartment in a high rise. It doesn't matter if you're buying a cabin on a lake. Sign those papers on the closing date and go in there and know that you're going to see all sorts of things that maybe you didn't see in the pictures or didn't see in the walkthrough. You're going to see stuff and it's going to make you question yourself. It's going to make you have doubts. You're going to feel like this was the biggest mistake of your life. And that's partly because you are investing in something that is probably more expensive than you are ever going to buy in your life. I can say for my apartment, that's the case. I have never spent this much money on anything in my whole life. But if you just go in there prepared to be let down and know that most people feel let down, you might feel a little bit better. So I I really like that advice from Gretchen Rubin. But Rafer, what about you? What's your advice here for Elizabeth? I think that's also great advice. Um, you know, listen, buying a house is totally terrifying. You know, it's a, it's, it's a super, super grown-up thing to do. And I think that's one of the reasons that it's such a scary thing to do. Um, I will second everything that you've said. Um, don't, you know, don't feel guilty. You know, feel, feel some combination of proud and or grateful that you're able to do this thing. Um, and, you know, uh, make your best choice and run with it and... I guess the other thing I would say was, you know, try to, you know, try to be excited and sort of enjoy the first flush of it, um, you know, because uh, like so many things, it will also become boring after a while and you'll just take it totally for <laughs> granted and you'll forget all about it. It'll just blend into the background of your life and you'll never even remember that there was some point in your life where you were horrified and scared and excited and all these th- different things at once. Um, you know, like like everything, it'll just become a normal part of your life eventually. So this is exciting. This is going to be your honeymoon with the house period. And I would say, try to enjoy it. Oh, yes. And can I just add one last thing, Rafer? Yeah. I think, Elizabeth, when, um, at least for myself, when I'm going into something that's major, that feels overwhelming, whether it's a romantic relationship or an investment, I feel better when I remind myself this doesn't have to be forever. That's true. You can try it for a couple years. It might not be a good fit. That's fine. You don't have to be there forever. You don't have to be married to it. But even if you were married, you could get divorced because divorce happens and that's fine. So <laughs> don't feel like you're trapped here. You're not trapped. Enjoy it. Throw yourself into all of those feelings before you take it for granted, like Rafer says. And then worst case, you, you can leave this house. That's a good point. Uh, so Kristen, what's your prescription for Elizabeth? All right. I am going to prescribe a little movie that came out on Netflix in 2019 called Falling in Love. In is spelled I-N-N. Get it? It's like a hotel almost, like a bread and, oh, bed and breakfast. I get Falling it. In I'm love. getting it right now. <laughs> get it? Get it? <laughs> and even better, it's falling apart. The in is falling apart. So it's like a million oh. different puns all in one title. I could explain this title for the rest of the episode because there are so many things happening in here. Plus, guess what? The heroine is falling in love while she is working on her falling apart right. in. It is so good. But but of course. Let me, let me just explain because I feel like my puns are not doing this justice. It centers on a character named Gabriella. Gabriella is a San Francisco career gal played by Christina Milian. And after losing her job and her boyfriend, Gabriella spontaneously, just on a whim, enters a contest and wins a rustic New Zealand inn. 
Thousands of air miles later, she discovers that the Bellbird Valley Farm Inn, which she has just won, has a crumbling facade. There's a goat that lives there. There's a meddling neighbor who covets the house. Everything's just terrible there. The only good thing, really, is that the house is in a little village that is adorable and diverse, and they support her through everything. And, of course, there is a handsome young man who just happens to uh, be very handy, you might say. Here's a clip. What can we get you? Directions to Bellbird Valley Farm. I'm the new owner. Oh. In from America, right? I bet there's an intriguing backstory to your arrival. Well, after losing my job and my boyfriend in San Francisco, I entered a win an in contest. You've won an inn, located in New Zealand. So, a 13-hour flight to Auckland and three bus rides later. Do you know anybody in town that does renovations? Jake Taylor. Can I have his phone number? Jake, what's your phone number? Who's asking? She is. No, I didn't. Why do you want my number? I was hoping to talk to you about a proposition. She's a real beauty. I can help you restore her to original glory. Kristen, you couldn't think of another pun for handy. <laughs> I, I could make so many puns. <laughs> he's got his tool belt and he's not afraid to use it. Anywho, so in Falling in Love, you are going to see a gal show up at this house that she thought was her dream house and realize it's not her dream house. You're going to see her try to fix it and build memories there and become a member of this community. And you're going to see over time that the house is so much more than those decrepit four walls. It's the memory she makes there. It's the heart that she puts into it. And you're also going to see by the end that she is allowed to not keep the house if she doesn't want to. She can walk away if she feels like it. And Elizabeth, I just want you to keep that in mind also, all those things, the love that you can have for this house, the love you can have in your new community. And even despite that, you can walk away if you want to. I'm not saying that our protagonist does in falling in love, but she might. She has the option to. And, and, and you could do the same, Elizabeth. Well, Kristen, that sounds that sounds pretty good. How much time of your in your life do you spend not watching Netflix romantic comedies? I'm just curious. <laughs> Is it like is it like a fourth, only a fourth of your life? I am right here taping with you now, Rafer. The TV <laughs> okay. is not even on. Okay. Just want you to know All the right. TV is not on right now. I'm glad I've got you away <laughs> from the Netflix romantic comedy for about 40 minutes. Well, what about you, Rafer? Are you also going to prescribe Elizabeth a Netflix romantic comedy? I am absolutely not. Um, <laughs> not that I'm so against them. I just like to tease you about them. Um, I am going to prescribe Elizabeth um, a sort of a, a slightly off-the-radar movie from 1997 called Mouse Hunt. Do you know this movie, Kristen? Rafer, I got to be honest with you, until this very moment, I have never heard of Mouse Hunt. Yeah, it's kind of interesting how how uh, how little of a splash this movie made. Uh, all right, so it's, uh, it's about these two brothers. Um, it's a comedy, first of all. It's two brothers, Ernie and Lars Smunts. Are this their last name? It's Nathan Lane and Lee Evans. Uh, uh, Nathan Lane is the kind of grasping, cynical, arrogant one, and Lee Evans is kind of like the dopey, good-natured, ineffectual one. A little bit Laurel and Hardy. This relationship. Uh, well, their dad dies, um, leaves them this giant, giant house. It's this kind of big Victorian manse, complete disaster, pretty much sinking into the ground. 
but they realize that it is actually underneath all the rot and dust and cobwebs, it's actually an architectural gem by somebody named Charles Lyle LaRue. And if only they could fix it up and polish up those banisters and give it some give it some spit and shine, the thing would be worth a fortune. And architect snobs from around the world would come and gawk at it and bid millions of dollars. There's a problem. There's a mouse in the house. And he's an uncommonly smart mouse. He's, sm he's so smart that he had to be CGI. And he's the kind of mouse who will lure a cat into a dumbwaiter and then send the dumbwaiter crashing down into the basement and killing the cat. This is the kind of mouse it is. And the brothers can't seem to get rid of it. Here's a clip. Lars, give me a hand with this. The Smuntz brothers have inherited their father's old house. I'm sorry, Pop. I'm sorry. Fixing it up could bring them a fortune. We can make seven, eight hundred thousand easy. Oh, man. Smart. Our future is staring us in the face, and all we have to do is grab it, baste it, and scarf it down. There's just one small problem. Hello. Hello. DreamWorks Pictures proudly presents Nathan Lane. We need a cat. I'm talking one mean pussy. Lee Evans. And Christopher Walken as Caesar the Exterminator. It's just a mouse. Mouse hunt. <laughs> and it's all about having a rodent who's trying to outsmart you. Why would this make Elizabeth feel better, Rafer? Kristen, bear with me. Uh, so now, it just a little background. This is uh, Gore Verbinski's first film, the guy who did the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Uh, uh, and, it, and like I say, it kind of fell by the wayside. I think critics didn't like it that much, uh, I think because they felt like it was sort of home alone with a mouse instead of a kid. <laughs> it just, I, you know, they, they, they really dinged it. They, 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 they knocked it for a lack of originality, which I understand. Um, and people found the characters a little a little edgy, kind of like the way the original producers was. Little characters are a little not totally likable, um, <laughs> but I thought it was very funny, very over the top. And I thought it was funny the way the mouse does these kind of ridiculous things, like even by Tom and Jerry standards, are kind of insane. Like when he operates the tow truck, things like that. Um, and it's kind of fun to see that in live action. Here is why I'm recommending that to our listener. First of all, I think, Elizabeth, you can have a sense of humor about this. Obviously, this is not going to happen to you. Your entire house is not going to fall down around your ears because a mouse is driving you insane. Uh, so uh, partly I'm just hoping that you can kind of have some good humor, sort of reflect on your own kind of overreacting to things. And that's the real message here is don't overreact. The mouse is a very little problem. And the reason the brothers get in so much trouble is because they overreact to it. They they fight it. They 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 try to destroy it. They freak out about it. Everything they do escalates and escalates and escalates. And they're turning a very small problem into a big problem. And I think when you've got a house, if you can sort of work around these problems, incorporate them into your lives, embrace them, don't fight them, kind of welcome them, don't overreact, stay calm everything will be okay. You can think of Mouse Hunt as a little bit of a cautionary tale of two people who drive themselves sort of insane. And by the way, everything works out well in the end. It is a comedy. Mm. Wow. I'm, I'm going to check that one out. And Kristen, you sound very skeptical. I, 
I, I'm very skeptical of it, I, but I'm here's why I'm going to check it out because I actually really like Nathan Lane. Yes, he's really good in it. I, I don't know if I've ever seen Nathan Lane in something where at the end I didn't think Nathan Lane. He is a national treasure. He's priceless. He's so great, and he's and he's very good in this. So I am going to check it out. But you're right, I am a little skeptical. <laughs> That's okay, Kristen. That's okay. All right. So once again, our recommendations are from me, Mouse Hunt, and from Kristen, falling in love. <laughs> Get it? In? They're in an inn. <laughs> oh my God, we get it, Kristen. That's falling down and they're falling in love. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a break. But before we do, do you need some movie therapy? Please visit our website, raferandkristen.com, and fill out the contact form. You don't have to use your real name. And if you haven't yet already, please join the conversation on our Facebook community. That's facebook.com slash groups slash Rafer and Kristen. When we're back, we'll tackle a letter from someone whose boyfriend might be anti-feminist. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hey, Matt, did you know that wombats poop cubes? Nope, never heard that before. Did you know the unicorn is the national animal of Scotland, Ken? I didn't know, nor do I care. Neil, did you know that Liechtenstein is the only doubly landlocked country in Europe? Jeff, isn't that an American pop artist? Well, actually, it's both. If you want to learn things like that and more, join us each week on Triviality, a pub trivia-style game show podcast where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Listen in each week to answer general knowledge trivia alongside exciting guests from around the world. And we're here too. Join us every Tuesday for new hour-long episodes of Triviality, plus tons of extra theme content on everything from The Office and Lord of the Rings to science and geography. And sometimes we even do sports. Find us on all your preferred podcast apps and take part in the fun of playing bar trivia without the need to wear pants. Real mature, Jeff. Forget it, Neil. It's Triviality. We're back with our second letter of the week. Kristen, you want to take this one? Sure, I'll take this one. This is from Cecily. Cecily writes, Dear Rafer and Kristen, last fall I fell in love for the first time at age 30. I was so happy to have found a person I could see myself spending the rest of my life with. At first, I loved that we could discuss difficult topics without resenting each other afterward. But now, I realize that whenever we talk about feminism, I always end up feeling tired and disheartened. He is for equality, but believes that we are so close to equality that women will soon have more power than men and that we should be careful not to oppress men. For context, we live in Norway, the second most equal country on the planet, but we're still at least 50 years from achieving equality. If you did an eye roll just now, I am right there with you. He's also a fan of Jordan Peterson, but claims to consume his work critically. I feel like this type of I'm a feminist, but attitude is one of the main obstacles to achieving equality, and I'm afraid it will be a relationship deal breaker. Believe it or not, he has many other redeeming qualities. I worry that they're not enough, though. 
I know you can't change people, but I hope that he will change of his own accord and that I don't have to end the relationship. Can you recommend any movies or TV shows that will make him see the inequality that exists in today's society? Hmm. That is difficult and not super promising, this letter. Yeah. I have, I have some skepticism about this, but let me... Let me start by saying a couple things. So this 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 writer Cecily says to us, um, you know, that this is a guy that she could see herself spending the rest of her life with. That's that's no small thing. That's a that's a big thing. You saw something in this person um, that attracted you, that appealed to you, and it's and it's something something real. There's something real about this personality and this person that that appeals to you. You're you're thirty. You're not a you're not a kid. Um, this is not, you know, infatuation. I mean, you're you're an adult. Um, I, I, you know, you're making wise decisions at this point. I I, I hope. Um, and you say as many good qualities, other redeeming qualities. You say so. I'm, you know, we're going to have to take you at your word on that. Um, you know, the Jordan Peterson thing. I don't know. It is uh, Jordan Peterson. I can't make heads or tails out of Jordan Peterson. I don't know what to say. Is he's like he's Jordan Peterson is a misogynist. He believes that women are oppressing men, and he believes in social distribution of sex, where every man is entitled to sex with a certain number of women. Is that his lobster thing? He is very problematic. Yes, yeah, the lobster thing. Is, it's I know, and he t- I know he chose the whole sort of uh, uh, pronoun hill, like that was going to be his big flag that that he was going to die on for that. Um, and I know that he's gotten, um, uh, I know he t- has attracted in the past uh, a sort of a very far right kind of young, young white male fan base. Um, incels. They're called incels, Rafer. Yeah, oh. I know. I know. I just, I'm, I'm, uh, I don't, I don't, anyway, listen, I don't know. I don't know about Jordan Peterson. I have not read him. Um, so I can't totally say uh, the things I've heard have not been that great. Um I guess I want to say about this guy, this uh, about the boyfriend. I think this is a person who is probably scared. I think this is a guy who is scared of the changes that's happening in the world. Um, and I think that might be your best bet as a place to start, to talk to this guy about, uh, you know, try to try to get at the heart of what this guy is afraid of. You know, this idea that he's saying that we're very close to equality and that that means somehow that suddenly women will have more power than men, I think sort of speaks a little bit to his mindset and kind of the way he views the world. Um, And that's, I think, a little problematic. And I guess I would just say, try to get to the bottom of that and see if you can figure it out. I, I feel like when people, when people are, are are angry at a certain group, whether it's women or a, a, a racial group or a, or a group of a certain identity. It's it's usually because they're scared. They're scared of something there. Um, I guess I would say try to have that talk. You know, look. I don't know. You may not like what you find. You know, you may try to look a little deeper and not like what you find there. Um, and it's and it's and it's also certainly not your job to um, you know fix this guy, but. If you're going to start anywhere, I would say that's a place to start. Kristen, what do you say? You are very kind, Rafer. And your attempts to (laughs) help Cecily here, I admire them so much. Uh, I got to say, Cecily, when you said, you know, am I rolling my eyes? Yes, I was rolling my eyes. And the Jordan Peterson mention, I just think of Jordan Peterson as the hero of so many men who believe in doing bad things to women. And that scares me. And... 
I, I, I guess, Rafer, I agree with you. Find out what the boyfriend is afraid of. That's useful. But I also, and I don't mean this to sound defeatist, but I don't know how good of a guy this is, uh, partly because you spend a lot of time talking about what's wrong with him, Cecily, but you're not really telling us about his redeeming qualities. You have two sentences here, one that you uh, felt yourself possibly you know, clicking with him enough to spend the rest of your life with him, and the other thing is that he has redeeming qualities, and the other 30 sentences are all about what could be problems here. And and that concerns me. That concerns me. I don't want you to be with somebody where 90% of what you say about him or feel about him is a concern. Th- this is concerning to me. And, and I'm not saying people can't change. People certainly can change. I like to think that I've changed over the years. Oh, God, I hope I've changed. I, yeah. I would hate to think that I've spent my whole life having the same views of the world when I was 10 or 14 or 25. Me too. Part of what makes us better is becoming more enlightened, getting more information, changing our minds. All of those are really, really good things. And I would love it, Cecily, if your boyfriend could get to that point too. I just don't know if he sounds like he wants to get there based on what you've said. And maybe he does. Maybe his love for you is some sort of motivation for him to maybe examine himself a little bit more. And if that's the case, yes, I applaud that. And I applaud your desire to help him on that journey. And, and you know, I, I'm i keeping my fingers crossed because I want that for you. I want that for him. And I just want that for the world because the world is a better place when people aren't walking around uh, spouting Jordan Peterson quotes or believing that kind of uh, theory about the world. I hear you. I hear you. Um, it's this is why I say it. It's it's not it's not the most promising beginning. But listen, who knows? Who knows? Um, Kristen, what's your prescription here? All right. Well, Cecily, I know you requested something that would highlight the inequality that exists in the world today, but. I am going to prescribe a mini-series from Hulu that focuses on the 1970s and the fight to pass the Equal Rights Amendment. Uh, And even though that's the 1970s, this is a brand new show from 2020 called Mrs. America, and they did a very artful job of showing how the issues of the 1970s are very much alive today. So let me walk you through what the premise is of this. So it's a nine-part miniseries about the attempts to pass the Equal Rights Amendment, as I said, and the unexpected backlash led by conservative activist Phyllis Schlafly. And it features a large ensemble cast, including Kate Blanchett as Schlafly, Rose Byrne as Gloria Steinem, Uzo Adubo as uh, Shirley Chisholm, Tracy Ullman as Betty Friedan. It's an all-star cast. But what it really highlights in a lot of ways are those push and pulls, those challenges between those who want to support equality and those who have a different vision of what equality is, and also how a lot of the people who maybe are holding back the Equal Rights Amendment back then are benefiting from inequality in certain ways because they are wealthy white women, for example, like Phyllis Schlafly. And uh, here's a clip of the trailer. I am not against women. I am not against women working outside the home. But what I am against is the women's liberation movement. 
Who the hell is Phyllis Schaffler? We need to get the word out quickly. We want the right to be a mother, the right to be a wife. The Libbers want to create a sex-neutral feminist totalitarian nightmare. Do you know what you're saying has no basis in fact? Our movement is about fighting the oppression of all women. We do not want housewives thinking that we are against them. We are against them. Revolutions are messy. How long are we supposed to wait? How much time do we give people to adapt to change? Or am I the only one who's so fucking tired of waiting? Now, Cecily, um, it may be the case that your boyfriend will see himself in certain characters, but what I hope he also sees is that it's not just trying to attack men. Because I think some people look at the feminist movement or the women's rights movement and they think, oh, they just hate men. They just hate men. And I think this show gives a much more nuanced look at things where it's not just men versus women. It's also women versus women. It's also white women ignoring all the women who aren't white and uh, looking at a lot of things from different angles and uh, shining a light on things that are very much alive and well and challenging the world today. Yeah, totally. That's it. That's a that's a great uh, that's a great pick. Um, and it's, what a what a cast in that thing, right? It's got everybody, everybody, who, everyone who can act is basically in that thing. Oh yeah, the cast is terrific. The soundtrack is terrific. The costumes are terrific. Yeah. it's so snappy. It's so fun. This is a fun snappy miniseries. Yeah, yeah. All right, I like that. I like that one. But what about you, Rafer? What are you going to prescribe to Cecily and her boyfriend? Well, we've both kind of gone back to a similar era. I'm recommending a movie from 2017 called Battle of the Sexes that takes place during the same time during the 70s. Um, and I loved this movie, and I, I, I thought everybody was going to love this movie. I thought this movie was going to sweep the Oscars, and it just didn't. Um, but it's the story of uh, Billie Jean King, played by Emma Stone, and another tennis pro, male tennis pro, named Bobby Riggs, played by Steve Carell. And this is a true story um, where the two of them played this famous tennis match, Gasp, a woman versus a man, never been done, <laughs> uh, something nobody ever thought they would see. Uh, and of course, it was called Battle of the Sexes. Um, and it's kind of a kind of an interesting backstory how it came about. This guy Bobby Riggs, uh, gambling addict, kind of a nut, uh, one of these guys who like might win or lose a car in a poker game. Um, he's kind of down on his luck. He's uh, he's got himself in debt. He needs some money, and so he's the one who comes up with this crazy media stunt uh, with him and Billie Jean King. Uh, it becomes a media sensation, right? Uh, the the entire women's liberation movement was called Battle of the Sexes back then. It's a no-brainer. Sells itself. Everyone snaps it up. Um, you know, people are placing bets at the water cooler. You know, who's going to beat who? Um, and at first, Billie Jean King kind of thinks it's all funny and she's kind of into it and she thinks it's just sort of a gimmick. But after a while, the thing starts to get to her, you know, because she's been already lobbying to um, have women tennis players uh, paid as much as the male tennis players. Um, A little backstory there, uh, kind of relevant today, given what's going on with women's basketball right now, uh, college ball. Um, And she starts to feel like maybe this isn't that funny. Uh, You know, when the game is over, uh, Bobby Riggs will still go on being a man and he'll still rule the tennis world and she'll have to go going back to being a woman, um, even though she's a superstar and, you know, not getting equal treatment and not getting equal pay. And this 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 kind of media stunt starts to feel like it's got some something real is writing on it. And all of a sudden, Billie Jean King, in a real way, really wants to win. 
Here's a quote. <laughs> now, don't get me wrong. I love women in the bedroom and in the kitchen. But That's these no days, one. they want to be everywhere. They want to be doing everything. Where is it going to end? Pretty soon, us fellas aren't going to be able to go to a ball game. We're not going to be able to go fishing. We're not going to be able to stop and have a drink after work. And that's what this whole women's lit thing is about. And it's got to stop. And Bobby Riggs is the man to stop it. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Custer's last stand. This is the lobber versus the lever. <laughs> Keep talking, Bobby. The more nonsense you spell, the worse it's going to be when you lose. Well, I'm the ladies' number one. I'm the champ. Why would I lose? Because dinosaurs can't play tennis. I'm going to put the show back in chauvinism. Now, Rafer, I know a lot of critics who love this movie, but it was in the theaters for like 10 minutes. Why do you think this wasn't a bigger hit? I know. I, do, I absolutely don't know why. I don't know if um, they didn't launch the right campaign or... Um, I, I absolutely don't know. I thought... God, Emma Stone and Steve Carell, they're just perfection in this movie. I thought i thought they would both land a nomination easily. And I don't think the movie got any Academy Award nominations at all. Um, but it was great. Uh, a couple of reasons, um, or well, a couple of things that I, maybe I should say to our listener. Um, you know, Billie Jean King was gay and there's a, a subplot. It's not the focus of the film, but this is there's a subplot of her kind of falling in love for the first time in a serious way. Um, I do find, just as a broad brush statement, I do find that men who are not welcoming to feminism tend not to be terribly welcoming to lesbians. So I don't know how this will go over with your boyfriend. I don't know if that makes this a deal breaker, if you feel like that might be something he will react poorly to. Maybe something worth thinking about. I don't know. Yeah, you know, I don't know. If you're if if the point is to get your boyfriend is to is to lead him to water, uh, you know, then I I don't know. But um, the things I think that your boyfriend might uh, uh, respond to. One, it's a husband and wife team who made this. Uh, Valerie Ferris and Jonathan Dayton. They're the guys who made Little Miss Sunshine. Uh, they made Ruby Sparks, another one of my favorite movies. Um, so, you know, you can tell your boyfriend if he thinks this is some kind of for women, by women thing. It's not. This is a, this is a husband and wife who made this thing. Um, and also, one thing I liked about the movie is that Bobby Riggs, uh, he's not the villain with a capital V. He's actually this kind of hilarious kind of awful, but kind of endearing, fun, sort of nutty, wacky character who you kind of, you kind of have to like, even though he sort of bugs the hell out of you. And Billie Jean King wants to beat him, but it's not because she hates him. And it's not because she hates men, of course. It's just because she wants some respect. She wants to be treated equally and seen for someone who can do the things that men do. And like I say, it's all it's all a joke to Bobby Riggs, but it's not to her. And that really affected me. There was something that in that that I really responded to uh, that idea that this that, you know, even though it's even though it's uh, it all just kind of exists in the media ether and it's all just for fun. But that stuff matters. You know, symbolism matters. Um, And so I don't know. I feel like this is not a movie that pokes easy fun at the guys and turns them into villains um, and oversimplifies everything. It really struck me as a real story. And so I'm, I hope there's something in this movie that your boyfriend might respond to. Wow. I think that is an excellent pick, Rafer. So once again, Cecily, our prescriptions are from Rafer Battle of the Sexes. 
And for me, Mrs. America, the miniseries on Hulu. All right, we're going to take one more quick break. But before we do, thanks to everyone who has rated and reviewed us in Apple Podcasts. For example, I'll try to pronounce this right, MX Sandy 12 recently gave us five stars and wrote, <laughs> what a unique way to do a movie podcast. Fans write in letters and they solve problems using the glorious medium of film. Great banter, hilarious picks, and a lighthearted pod that I'll enjoy forever. I love the idea that you'll enjoy us forever. Rafer, we are not allowed to quit. We're going to have to make this show forever for MX Sandy 12. We'll grow old together, Kristen, you and I. <laughs> All right. Well, stay with us when we're back. We have our What Should I Watch Next Letter of the Week. Hey, movie therapy listeners, we want to tell you about another show we think you'll love. It's called Popcorn Psychology, and unlike our show, it's hosted by three real therapists, Ben Stover, Hannah Espinoza, and Brittany Brownfield. In each episode of Popcorn Psychology, Ben, Hannah, and Brittany analyze popular movies and characters from the perspectives of an individual, child, and marriage therapist. From Sleepless in Seattle to Get Out, they give new perspectives on blockbuster films and help listeners better understand themselves. Their goal? To entertain while decreasing the stigma around mental health. Check out Popcorn Psychology. Again, that's Popcorn Psychology, available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. We're back, and it's time for this week's What Should I Watch Next Letter Rafer. I'm going to let you read this one. All right. This one's from Cliff. Cliff writes, Dear Rafer and Christian, I recently watched the Academy Award-nominated movie Minari about the Korean-American immigrant family that moves from California to Arkansas to become farmers. There are so many good things I could say about this film, about the acting and the writing and so on, but I think what stuck with me most is the relationship between the grandmother and the grandson. The grandma was so fun and unconventional, and she and the grandson had a teasing but loving relationship that went beyond what we usually see in elderly characters. I'd love to watch some more unconventional grandmas like her. What should I watch next? Oh, Cliff, I love this letter for so many reasons. One of them is because we have not yet talked about Minari on the show, and I am excited to talk about that. But also, I am such an insane grandma lover. I loved my own grandma. She was my best friend. I love all grandmas. Grandmas are the best. Thank God for grandmas. <laughs> Kristen, you are a big grandma person. I know that about you. I am. I like to think I've been a grandma since I was about eight years old. <laughs> There's like a grandma inside of me just waiting to come out. I just need to age like another 20 or 30 years, and then I can really own it. And I had a feeling that you would be a big Minari fan. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, I, I will say this. If you have not yet seen Minari, and if you've ever had anxieties about your inability to grow your own food, this movie will not help. <laughs> uh, I watched this movie, and it really reinforced my belief that I would be a terrible, terrible farmer. The whole time, I'm just like, oh. You're from the Midwest, Kristen. This is terrible. You're from the Midwest. I never want to be a farmer. This is too hard. <laughs> it's too darn hard. I don't want to be a farmer. All right. Well, Kristen... What do you, do you have some ideas for an unconventional grandma movie? You must. Oh, gosh. I had so many ideas, but Rafer, I'm going to let you go first because you stole my idea. Oh, did I? I, I? I know you didn't know you were stealing my idea, but that was the idea that I was going to choose. I'm sorry, The movie Kristen. that you picked. So I had to pick something else because you chose what I wanted to choose. And 
uh, boy, is she an unconventional grandma in your movie. She definitely, definitely is, um, despite the fact that the movie has the generic title of Grandma. Uh, this is from 2015. It's a very offbeat little movie. I'm not surprised you like this movie, but, it, but I wasn't sure, Kristen, if you'd ever seen it. Um, oh I, my gosh, I love this movie. It was one of my top rated movies of 2015. Is that Along right? with the movie I am going to recommend, by the way. Um, oh. But they were both on my top 10 for that year. I love the movie Grandma. Okay. All right. Well, um, I was a little skeptical about this film when I first went into it and and when it started, but uh, it very slowly and steadily won me over. Uh, This movie stars uh, Lily Tomlin as a woman named Elle. Uh, Great character. She's a lesbian poet, bohemian, living in Los Angeles. Uh, One of the first scenes that you see of her is she's dating a a younger woman played by Judy Greer. Um, And uh, she just kicks her out of the house and says, you know, it's over. You mean nothing to me. That's it. Bye. Um, Really like a great, great, tough, uh, funny character. Uh, Next thing you know, this girl named Sage comes over and this is Elle's granddaughter played by Julia Garner. And Sage is pregnant. She's got nowhere else to turn. She wants an abortion. She doesn't have the money. It costs over 600 bucks. Her mom took her credit cards, and she's got nothing. She's out of options. She's come to grandma. And Elle is not rich either. As I said, she's a poet. And so she and Sage get in the car, and they start driving all over town, hoping to bum money off some old friends. Some of them are happy to see Elle. Some of them are definitely not. Here's a clip. You're going to have to get the money, Cam. Look, who is this? My grandma. Half. Give us half the money. Yo, Grandma, what you what you doing here? You know you're going to have to take responsibility for this, too. How do I know it was me? What? You heard me? I didn't sleep with anyone else. Just slept with Mike. Yeah, like a year ago, and we used a condom. Yeah, why didn't you use a condom? Or for humanity's sake, get a vasectomy. What? What did she just say? She didn't say anything, okay? Look, she said it wasn't her time. Oh, yeah. Her time? What are you, a moron? What are you, both morons? Don't they teach kids sex ed anymore? Listen, Grammy, you better watch yourself. Look at this sorry-ass loser. Some people should not grow beards. Your face looks like an armpit. Rafer, I love this movie so much. I love this movie. Uh, Lily Tomlin is the grandma I want to be someday. Uh, I want the kids to come to me after they make mistakes and ask for money. I want to go on road trips with them. I want to get up to no good. I want to tell off their boyfriends. (laughs) I want to do all the things that Lily Tomlin does in this movie. And I want to have a creative life and my own romances and something that's not just about my grandkids. Because I think a lot of the movies that are out there about grandparents, it's like their whole world is their grandchildren. They don't have any of their own passions. They don't have any of their own things that make life worth living other than their grandkids, but not in this movie. Lily Tomlin has plenty of other stuff going on besides being a grandma, but she is also just a fierce, kick-ass, awesome grandma. Yeah, she's great. Um, You know, she's like if if your grandmother were Patti Smith. She's kind of of lanky, you know, sort of lanky, tough, artsy grandma. And and of course, you know, it's a it's irresistible, this kind of um, this kind of storyline where the kid, you know, gets swept up with the the old person. And like you say, the kid thinks, oh, you know, grandma is here to be my grandma. That was her job on Earth. But no, she had a whole life before that. And you start to see like, whoa, my grandma was out there. Like she was really mixing it up out there in the world and doing some crazy stuff and knows all these weird people. Um, 
Laverne Cox is a, is in this as in this movie. She plays a tattoo artist named Deathy. I thought that was really funny. Death with a Y. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Sam Elliott is um, Elle's ex husband, which just adds a whole other kind of oh, layer. Yeah, and he's so Sam Elliott in this movie. No, oh, he's God, he's so Sam Elliott. Uh, <laughs> anyway, it's yeah, it's a it's a great movie. I'm glad you agree, Kristen. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I stole that one from you. Um, but I have faith in you. What did you, what did you come up with as your pick? Well, as I was saying, I picked another movie from 2015 that was on my top 10 list for the year. And this movie also features a very unconventional grandma. Uh, I will say this, unlike the grandma in Minari, she's not necessarily the grandma you want, but she is a fascinating grandma to watch. So the movie I'm talking about is called The Visit. The Visit is a movie by M. Night Shyamalan. Yes. And it centers on two siblings, 15-year-old Becca and 13-year-old Tyler. They are going to visit their grandparents while their divorced mother, Loretta, played by Katherine Hahn, goes on a cruise with her boyfriend. And it's made clear very early in the movie that Loretta has been estranged from her parents for years, and thus Becca and Tyler will be meeting the grandparents for the very first time. And so the film opens with them uh, essentially just at the train station meeting Nana and Pop Pop for the first time. And Nana and Pop Pop bring the grandkids to their isolated farmhouse. And, uh, you know, the grandparents are sweet, but they're a little bit odd. And they have some strange rules. They tell the children never to go into the basement because it contains mold. And they make clear that there is a very strict 9.30 p.m. bedtime each night, after which they are not allowed to leave their room. But, of course, the kids don't follow the rules of the house and things get stranger from there. Here's a clip. Would you mind getting inside the oven to clean it? I'm sorry. I'm too big. I can't reach back there. The kitchen's got to be clean. The oven's off. Yeah, sure. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Get farther in there. All the way in. You thought I was weird uh, for recommending Mouse Hunt earlier, but you're recommending a horror film to somebody (laughs) who has merely asked you for like an unconventional grandma character and you recommended an M. Night Shyamalan movie. (laughs) Now it's my turn to pick on you. You got to admit she's unconventional. (laughs) This grandma is not like any other grandma I've ever seen in the movies. She is full of delight and surprise and fear and agony, and a lot of other things. But she's got it all, doesn't she? She certainly does. I mean, she's certainly unconventional yeah. slash horrifying. Yeah, she's not yeah. like other grandmas. And I, I think the movie will surprise you. You probably will be squealing. I remember seeing this in the theater. People were at various points screaming and laughing at the same time because it's just so ridiculous. Totally. There's a certain kind of Hansel and Gretel feel to it. There's a certain kind of uh, found footage feel to it. There's a certain cabin in the woods feel to it. But there's also just those good feelings of grandma making you cookies that may be poisoning you. (laughs) 
Well, I, I have to say, I got a real kick out of this movie. This was kind of the beginning of the rehabilitation of M. Night Shyamalan, as I recall, right? Yeah. He'd really been in the doghouse for a while, and things were starting to pick up. He'd produced that movie uh, Devil, about the ele- the guys trapped in the elevator, which was actually pretty good. He wasn't the director of that, but he produced it. Then this, and then Split, and he was he was back in business. Uh, but yeah, this, this movie was a lot of fun. Yeah, and I will say this about his career at this point. He paid out-of-pocket $5 million. He mortgaged his house. He liquidated everything to pay for this movie. Oh, is that right? All of the studios turned him down until just one at the very end came through. And then the movie, of course, made $100 million. And uh, all those studio heads kicked themselves for saying no to him. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Good for him. All right. I still think it's a weird pick, though, Chris. (laughs) All right. So once again, our recommendations are from Kristen, The Visit, and from me, Grandma. So good. So good. I love Grandma. As a matter of fact, I am going to go and watch that right now, Rafer, along with a Netflix uh, romantic comedy right now. uh, Great. Great choice. Great choice. (laughs) All right, everybody. That is it. We've come to another end of another episode of Movie Therapy. Reminder, you can reach us on our website. That's RaferandKristen.com. And, of course, follow us on Twitter at Rafer Guzman and at Kristen Meinzer. Until next time, I'm Rafer Guzman. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.